Psalm 63 is a psalm of David. I invite you now to hear the word of God. The psalm of David, when he was in the deserts of Judah, you, God, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary, beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the riches, richest of foods, with singing Lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. And those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. This is the word of God. You may be seated. While you're seated, please uh, remember to thank the elders as they have done an incredible job of taking the mantle of communication and coming forth. Didn't y'all think Jay did a great job in giving announcements? Didn't he do a great job? The next, the next thing is that Jay will be preaching next Sunday. So, Yeah. Also, I want to thank the deacons as you've come into the campus. You will notice that there are candy cane sticks. That's what I call them. Uh, there are sticks along the edge of the drive. And the reason for that is the deacons have noticed that people don't stay on the road anymore. And unfortunately, uh, it's, it's deteriorating the area, and we don't want things to wash away. And I just want to thank the deacons for being so proactive in their leadership and in their, their great care of the facility that God has given us to worship in. Um, by the way, we're going to be looking to the congregation to select its next uh, candidates for the office of elder and deacon. It's time for you to begin to talk with each other and to make proposals in a box at the back of the sanctuary of those individuals that you would like approach to be serving in that capacity. Uh, and I do want to thank those who have served. Let me tell you, um, there is a real sad part of the church that we don't talk about and that is that we think the officers are elected to serve us and that's not Presbyterian. Presbyterian belief is that the officers are called to serve Christ and to lead us sacrificially in doing God's will not our will and so the elders are the spiritual leaders of the church and so when someone doesn't come to church when someone has fallen into some disarray uh, those elders are not to go to that person and castigate them and kick them out. 
They are to lovingly go to those individuals who are struggling with sin and encourage and love and pray for them and to help them follow Jesus Christ. And so when you think of leaders in the church, you need to find people who are compassionate in wanting to help people love Jesus and to deal with their own idiosyncrasies. We believe in the Presbyterian Church that the pastor does not make the final decision. The elders do. And not one elder does, but they make the decisions to follow in Christ together. And so the meetings of the session are monthly. The regular meetings are open. You are welcome to come and observe your elders. And if there is an issue where they need to talk about someone or some issue, they will dismiss you for an executive session. And the diaconate meetings are open as well. I just want to thank the officers for their love for Christ. Thank you so much. This morning as we get into our, our sermon, we're dealing with the psalms that are, are really speaking about the psalms of joy. It kind of reminds me of, uh, of uh, the hard truth that joy is not based upon the circumstances of life. Joy is, for the Christian, the basis of knowing and loving God in the midst of the uncertainty of our days. And so in light of that, there are three things the psalmist talks about this morning. Um, if I could, yeah, thank you. Uh, if I could talk with you this morning from three different things the psalmist brings forward in his prayer, in his worship of God that he's experienced. And this is what we believe is David, the king of Israel, before he became king. He noticed these three things about himself and about his relationship with God, that he thirsted for God, that, that there was a thirst that only God could satisfy in his life. And then finally this morning, nothing can preserve my life. Nothing can preserve my life except God. I want you to think about those as we go through that. Let's, let's take the first one, uh, a thirst for God. I don't know about you, but... We, we don't think about being thirsty in our country. If you're thirsty, you find a water fountain or you go to, make, you go to a restaurant and, and get a, a big gulp. They used to call it at the 7-Eleven. Have you ever gotten a big gulp? I mean, it's, the thing is so big you can't get it in the car. You have to kind of wedge it in and, and you can spend the rest of the days uh, drinking it. The, the doctors I talk to say you should have about eight cups of water a day. Uh, or is it gallons? I, I, the older I get, the, most, the more I realize the more water you put in, the more you have to put out. And, 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 and I don't know about you, but that's not easy anymore. And, and, and it's one of those frustrating things. But when we think about thirst, thirst is something that we really don't really deal with as they did in the Middle East. You see, in the wilderness of Judah, the wilderness of Judah, you had to carry your water in goatskins that were prepared to carry water. And, and you had to literally um, refill it at the streams that you would cross. And those were rare streams that you would cross. Uh, it's akin to being, I guess, out west in the middle of nowhere like Arizona or someplace like that where you're needing water and you look around and there's no water around you. Well, that's, that's exactly the experience of the psalmist this morning. But in the midst of that wilderness that he's in, he's thirsting for God in a dry and barren land. Did you notice that? 
If you go back and look at Psalm 63, you'll see those words. I, I am thirsty for God in a dry and barren land. Well, why does he put it that way? Well, I, uh, and wives, you certainly can have great compassion for my wife when your husband, if, you, if indeed this happens, comes up with a great idea and he says, hey, I've got a great idea and you're not so sure it's a great idea but you go along with it anyway because you love your husband. Well, that's what happened to us. I, I decided after we had cut a, cut a dogwood tree out of our, our yard that I wanted to go and find a dogwood tree and plant it in our yard. So I went in the middle of July and found the deadest dogwood tree you could buy and brought it home. And we, we talked about where we were going to plant it. And, and my wife so supportive. Don't, don't you all have such compassion for Cindy being married to me? Uh, such compassion she said well I think this would work and so I had to go out and dig the hole and, and prepare the ground and, and I, that's when I noticed y'all we haven't had much rain have you noticed the, the ground around North Carolina this, this part of North Carolina is kind of clayish reddish clay um, when I first saw this as a young man when we used to work for a, a pool company I didn't know where in the world they got this red clay, but it was the worst invention I'd ever seen in my life. Because when it's dry, it gets so dry it cracks. Have you noticed? And so as we put that tree into the ground and as we began to water it, the YouTube channel instructional video says water it about five gallons when you first put it down and then a gallon every day. Well. I've turned a hose on that thing and kept it on for about two weeks now. The grass around it is green. The tree is suffering. And I thought that's exactly how David feels. He is thirsty for God in a dry and barren land. Isn't it strange that we live in one of the wealthiest countries in the world? And the dryness of the spiritual life of our country is so evident. People are hungry and thirsty for God. Why? Well, the Bible says no one seeks after God. No one wants God. No one pursues God. Why? Because we're sinful. We, we think of new ways to fix our lives by pursuing anything but God. Money, sex, power. That's a famous book that was written to talk about that, that, that men and women will pursue everything in those categories to fill the thirst that we have for God. The Westminster Catechism asks the question, what is the chief end of your life? Why were you created? If you would look on the commercials on our TV and then our our media, you would think, well, we were created to have pleasure in, every, in its greatest form. Well, what do you do when pleasure no longer pleases? Now you know what David is asking. I thirst in a dry and barren land. Why is it dry and barren? Why is David suffering like this? Well, interestingly enough, David is out in the wilderness of Judah because God told him he was going to become king and that Saul, who was presently the king of Israel, was going to be removed. And so in one sense of the word, David is following God's direction for his life, but it's not what 
you find being promised on some pulpits in our country where your best life is coming. You see, he's in the depths of despair. And it's in the depths of despair of that wilderness that he is realizing that nothing is going to change his circumstance unless God intervenes. And that's why he thirsts for God. You see, that's why he has come to the place because he has known in his life trying to satisfy that thirst in other ways, but nothing would take care of the overwhelming dry and barrenness of his heart. And so in light of that, he thirsts for the living God. He's, he's, he's thinking about God. He's searching for God. He's asking God, where are you? Have you ever been there? I oftentimes wonder, why is it that God allows bad things to happen to us? Have you wondered that yourself? Well, I am convinced as I read the Bible, one of the reasons why a sovereign God allows things that happen in our lives that we don't understand is that we become aware that there's only one who can quench the thirst of our hearts, and it's God. And it's only in the midst of the wilderness. It's only in the midst where we have tried to satisfy our thirst in other ways that we begin to think nothing will satisfy me. Nothing will allow me peace. Nothing will give me what I need to live unless God does. And that's why David goes on to talk about this in such, such wonderful measure. If you look at the psalm, and I don't know if you have your Bibles open, but if you go back and look at Psalm 63, one of the things that really astonishes me is how in the midst of that barrenness, he has this capability, the ability to cry out to God. It must be because he's so smart. He was raised in the right family. He grew up in North Carolina. No, he... he, he longs for this because he says, I have seen you in your sanctuary. You see, it's in that measure that God had intervened in his life before in such measure that he can now say to himself, that thirst can only be satisfied by God because he did it before. When I was thirsty, God satisfied that thirst. He goes on and says, not only have I seen you in your sanctuary, but I have beheld your power and your glory. Now, I don't want you to know, when I think of the power and glory of God, I think of thunderstorms, I think of earthquakes, I think of tornadoes. That's not the power of God. The power of God is a power that allows us to see our sin for what it is and begin to hate it and see God for who he is and begin to love him. You see, that's the most amazing thing about the power of God, that he raised me from the deadness of my sins to being alive to him. Not sinless, but wanting to be. Well, where does this dryness come from? Well, if you go back and look in the Bible, you'll find that dryness sometimes happens because God just calls us to live at a time where he does not make sense. Where what is happening around us doesn't seem to have any clues to what the answers are. 
There are times when God asks us to walk through valleys where there are no guides or paths or maps to help us. And it's simply a time when we are to follow God by faith and to trust Him that He can even work through that. I, I, I dare say one of the things that I have enjoyed the most about being in the, the Word and particularly being in our Reformed faith is the Heidelberg Catechism. If you've never heard of the Heidelberg Catechism, it was put together as a way of, of helping Christians grow in their faith. And, and it was written in such a way that, that Christians of various sects would begin coming together and focusing on the living and true God. But the, the whole catechism is a question and answer format. And the first question is, what is my only comfort in life and in death? Well, I want you to know, I talked with somebody this past week. His name is Steve. He's dying of COPD. He has no comfort. He's scared. He's frightened of death. Are you? And so when the question is asked, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Well, I want you to know when my wife makes biscuits, that's a comfort in life. <laughs> but when you're dead, those biscuits don't do any good for you. And the answer to the question in the catechism is this, that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul both in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that all things must work together for my salvation. What? You're like Steve and you walk into a doctor's office and he says you only have a month to live? Is this true? That all things work together? Well, if your life was preserved because of something you did, then you would have reason to worry. But if your life is preserved by God, why do you fear death? Isn't that glorious? You see, that's the power of the gospel. That death for us is not something that we fear as the end of our life. It is a time where we cross over to that reward that God has prepared for us, not because we're good people or we're smart or raised in the right family or raised in North Carolina, but because God in his infinite love and mercy loved you so much he sent Christ into the world to die on the cross for you. And then he raised him from the dead and he will never die again. Isn't that powerful? But it's the ending of the, the catechism that really is powerful. He says, therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Now there is the power of God. You see, that thirst that I have for God comes when I realize that I have no resources in order to meet the circumstances that I face. 
The circumstances of my life are too great. The powers that are arrayed against me are too powerful. I cannot overcome them. The lust of my eyes, the lust of my flesh, the pride of my life, these sins are going to envelop me. If it were not for God, they would have victory. But thanks be to God, they don't. Why? Because I thirst for the living God. Because God has been merciful. And I have seen him in his sanctuary. I have beheld his power. Thirdly and finally this morning, David reminds us that the joy of this life in knowing Christ is that not only we thirst for God, not only that we, we can only be satisfied from God, that nothing can preserve my life except God. When I read this, I, I thought, he's bragging. He's looking down on people. David is looking at all these sinners, and he's just going, clucking his tongue. And at first I thought, why am I reading it that way? And then I realized it was the sin of pride. It was that pride within me that somehow I think or believe or have an inclination to look at myself in a better light now that I am in Christ than the people who are not. Are you like that? You're going down the interstate and someone passes you doing 80 and you just cluck your tongue and you say, well, they shouldn't do that. And then you look down at your speedometer and you're doing 75. I'm going to tell you a secret. All of us are so sinful because we're so judgmental of others. We always paint ourselves in the best light and everyone else in a lesser light. Why do we do that? It's called self-justification. And there the power of God comes and shines the light on that kind of sin and it destroys us because we recognize that we have nothing to boast in except Jesus was merciful to me. When David finishes the psalm, he says, those who seek my life will be destroyed. He's not happy about it. He's sad for them. They will go down to the depths of the earth. Is he saying that he's something special? No. What he's saying is the people who want to destroy him want to... God's plan that God has declared he will do through him. It has nothing to do with David. It had everything to do with the fact that these people, whoever they are, are standing against God and they're taking it out on David. He goes on and says, now get this, he goes on and says, they will be given over to the sword and become food for the jackals. In other words, they will end up in the ash bin of life. And then 
he gives a ray of light. He says, but the king will rejoice in God. Well, well, who is this king? Is he talking about himself? No, I, I think he's talking about the promise that God gave that from David would be one king who would come who would bring salvation to the world. And all who swear by God's name will praise him. While those who refuse to They will be condemning themselves to an eternal thirst that cannot be quenched. Could you imagine? think about what's happening in our days when I think of the confusion and I think of the overwhelming stress of our culture being so divided in so many ways God is calling you and me as Christians to remember that it is the Lord who quenches our thirst it is the Lord who satisfies and anything else we rejoice in it will fail. For the world, that's a message of folly. That's ridiculous. What can a carpenter who died 2,000 years ago do for me today? But the Bible says, for we who believe in him, for we who are trusting in him, we are being saved. That's why we get up and come to places like this, isn't it? That's why we come to tables like this that are set for us. Why? Because it is in these places that we don't go to the wine and to the bread to satisfy us. We go to the person that they represent, even Jesus. Elders, would you come down? Would you come down and allow us to acknowledge our thirst for God you come down and allow us to once again remember how only God is the one who can quench us. Quench the thirst that we have and bring life to us.